order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Stephen Doughty. Question number one, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And, uh, Mr Speaker, first of all, I'm sure that the whole House will want to join me in paying tribute to our former colleague, Paul Flynn. He was an outstanding parliamentarian, a tireless campaigner, and championed his constituency of Newport West and Wales with energy and enthusiasm for over 30 years. Paul spent the vast majority of his career as a backbencher and wrote a helpful guide in his book, Commons Knowledge, How to Be a Backbencher, uh, before being made Shadow Leader of the House and Shadow Secretary of State for Wales. But of course, he will be remembered for one of the great parliamentary quotes when he left Labour's front bench in 2016. He said, Our glorious leader, in an act of pioneering diversity, courageously decided to give opportunities for geriatrics on the front bench. And this was so successful that he decided to create opportunities for geriatrics on the back bench. I'm double blessed. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Stephen Doughty. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And can I add my tribute to those words of the Prime Minister for my uh, former constituency neighbour, friend and uh, Welsh Labour colleague, Paul Flynn. Um, he was a remarkable man. He will go down as one of the great parliamentarians the last 40 years and was an inspiration to many of us. He gave me once a copy of that book when I was a teenager, so he must have seen uh, something in me, Mr Speaker. So, I'm not... I'm rebellious, maybe not quite as rebellious as him, but, um, uh, but um, Mr Speaker, um, he was a great man and he will be missed by all of us. Um, Mr Speaker, um, in the midst of political crisis, it is ever more important that we put our country first. With thousands of jobs at risk and with our international reputation in question, will the Prime Minister now stop playing Russian roulette, rule out no deal? and put a deal back to the British people so they can have the final say. Prime Minister! Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman, first of all, as he knows, that there are two ways in which it's possible to ensure that we don't see no deal. Uh, no, but one is, one is to stay in the European Union, which is, is not what the referendum result said, and the other is to agree a deal. And what I'm working on at the moment is taking the view of this House of Commons uh, about the concerns of the backstop in the deal and working with Brussels to resolve that issue such that this House will be able to agree a deal. And Theresa Villiers. Mr Speaker, this afternoon this House will debate anti-Semitism. And with that in mind, I quote from the statement of the Honourable Member for Enfield North, who explained Labour inactivity on this issue as that given a choice between the sport of anti-Semites and ridding Labour of Jew hate, they have decided to side with anti-Semites. In the light of that, will the Prime Minister join me in urging Labour to rid their party of this scourge once and for all? Prime Minister! Can I, can I? say to my right honourable friend that I think this is a very important issue that everybody in this House should take seriously. I never thought I would see the day when Jewish people in this country were concerned about their future in this country, and I never thought I would see the day when a once proud Labour Party was accused of institutional anti-Semitism by a former member of that party. And, and it is incumbent on all of us in this House to ensure that we act against anti-Semitism wherever and however it occurs. It is racism and we should act against it. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 
Could I start by joining what you said on Monday in paying tribute to my friend and yours, Paul Flynn. He served in this House for over 30 years as Member for Newport West. He was courageous, he was warm, he was witty. And as the Prime Minister pointed out, when he served briefly on the shadow front bench, he came to the first shadow cabinet meeting and welcomed to me my diversity project to promote octogenarians to the shadow cabinet. His book on how to become an MP is absolutely a must read. He was respected all across this House and I think we're all going to miss his contributions and his wit and his wisdom. Our deepest condolences to his wife Sam and all of his family and all of his much wider family all across Newport and all across Wales. He was a truly wonderful man and a great and dear friend. I also hope, Mr Speaker, that the House will join me in paying tribute to Baroness Falkinder, who died earlier this month, and sending our condolences to her friends and family. When Marsha served with distinction as political secretary to Harold Wilson, she was subjected to a long campaign of mis misogynistic smear and innuendo, and I think she suffered a great deal as a result of it. And we should remember the great work she did as political secretary to Harold Wilson. The Prime Minister responded just now to a question on anti-Semitism. I'd simply say this. Anti-Semitism has no place whatsoever in any of our political parties, in our life, in our society. Uh, Mr Ellis. Be quiet now and for the rest of the session. You used to practice as a barrister. You didn't make those sorts of harumphing noises in the courts, or if you did, no wonder you no longer practice there. <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn. As I was saying, Mr. Speaker, it has no place whatsoever in our society or in any of our political parties, and my own political party takes the strongest action to deal with anti Semitism wherever it rears its head. Mr. Speaker. Mr Speaker, last week an EU official said the UK Government was only pretending to negotiate, adding there was nothing on the table from the British side. So with just 37 days to go, can the Prime Minister be clear, what she, will she actually be proposing today when she travels to Brussels? Yeah. Prime Minister. Well, first of all, of course, there are a number of meetings taking place in Brussels. My right honourable friend, the Brexit Secretary and the Attorney General were in Brussels earlier this week and had a constructive and positive meeting with officials in the European Commission on the issue of alternative arrangements and work on alternative arrangements. Uh, the issue that I'm taking to Brussels is the one I've been speaking to EU leaders about over the last few days, and that is the concern that was expressed in this House of ensuring that we could not find ourselves in the current backstop indefinitely. Uh, there are a number of ways that I've identified on a number of occasions at this dispatch box to deal with that. I've referenced the work on alternative arrangements. Uh, uh, there is also the uh, options of an end date or a unilateral exit mechanism, uh, legal work, uh, those what matters in all of this is legally binding changes that ensure that we address the concern that has been raised by this House. That is what I will be discussing with the European Commission and will continue to discuss with them and European Union leaders. Jeremy Corbyn. Sounds like it might be quite confusing for the European Union to understand exactly what the Prime Minister is turning up with, actually. <laughs> Um, Mr. Mr Speaker, she's had three groups of backbenchers working on, on, on three proposals. Firstly, to remove the backstop. Secondly, to make the backstop time-limited. And thirdly, to give the UK the right to exit unilaterally. So which of these proposals is the Prime Minister negotiating for today? One, two or three? 
Prime Minister. The Right Honourable Gentleman uh, points out that, as I have said, I've just said in my uh, opening response to his question, he could have listened to that answer, uh, but I'm happy to repeat it, there are a number of ways in which it is possible to address the issue that has been raised by this House of Commons, uh, and work is, on, is uh, being undertaken on those various issues. So on the alternative arrangements, for example, while the Commission has raised questions, particularly about the extent to which derogation from European Union law would be necessary in order to put those into place, and there's a concern about being able to achieve that if we're going to leave in time, if we're going to leave in time. Nevertheless, we have agreed that a work stream will go forward on those, uh, on those matters. We're also exploring the other issues, but the point is a very simple one. It isn't just a question of saying to the European Union, actually, this is just the one thing. It's a question of sitting down with the European Union and finding a solution that is going to deliver for the people of Northern Ireland and Ireland, that is going to ensure that we deal with the concern that has been raised here in this House of Commons, and that is going to enable a deal to be brought back to this House of Commons, which this House of Commons can support, so we leave on the 29th of March with a deal. Jeremy Corbyn. This week, the Foreign Foreign Office Minister said categorically, we're not leaving without a deal. But sadly, he doesn't speak for the government. Her business minister says he's very conscious of the damage of not ruling out a hard Brexit is having on business and industry. People's jobs and livelihoods are in the Prime Minister's hands. Will she stop playing games with people's jobs and make it very clear that no deal is absolutely ruled out? Prime Minister. People's jobs and futures are in the hands of every member of this House. Once again, the Right Honourable Gentleman could have listened to the answer that I gave to his Honourable Friend in the first question that he asked. There are only two ways to take no deal off the table. One is to back a deal, the other is to revoke Article 50 and stay in the European Union. Now, he's refused to back a deal, so the obvious conclusion is that he must want to revoke Article 50. So he can stand up now and tell us what his policy is to back the deal or stay in the European Union. Jeremy Corbyn. Well, I did write a very nice letter to the Prime Minister setting out what our views were. I'm sure she received it and read it, and I hope she's going to think on it. But it appears, Mr Speaker, that the Right Honourable Member for West Dorset is right when he said last week this government and my Prime Minister will actually prefer to head for the exit door without a deal in the event her deal does not succeed. And he went on to say it's a terrifying fact. Mr Speaker, thousands of car workers in Derby, Sunderland, Birmingham and Swindon are facing redundancy. Does that matter to the Prime Minister? Prime Minister. say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, first of all, First of all, we have seen decisions taken by car manufacturers, uh, and of, obviously the decision this week by Honda is one that is deeply disappointing. They have made absolutely clear that this is not a Brexit-related decision. This is a decision. This is a decision about the change that is taking place to the global car market. Jobs, of course, matter to this government. And while the Right Honourable Gentleman wants to talk about jobs, perhaps he would like to change the habit of a lifetime and stand up at that dispatch box and welcome the excellent job figures under this government that we've seen this week. 
Well, the Prime Minister doesn't seem very interested in listening to those companies and industry bodies that say they need a customs union. And when she talks about jobs, will she also talk about those doing two or three jobs to make ends meet, those on zero-hours contracts, those are so low-paid they have to access food banks just to survive, those suffering from in-work poverty under her watch, under her government. Last year, investment in the car industry halved. Brexit uncertainty is already costing investment. And where investment is cut today, jobs are cut tomorrow. Mr Speaker, that uncertainty wouldn't end even if the Prime Minister's rejected deal somehow or other got through, because it promises only the certainty of a spectrum of possible outcomes. So will the Prime Minister see sense and offer business and workers the certainty, the certainty of a customs union that could protect jobs and industry in this country. Prime Minister. Right on. Well, gentlemen, will also have heard from car manufacturers is their support for the deal that the government negotiated with the European Union. But if he wants to talk about jobs, I'm very happy to talk about jobs because what have we seen in the latest figures? Employment at a record high. Yeah. Unemployment at its lowest since the 1970s. 96% of the increase in employment in the last year has come from full-time work. Youth unemployment has almost halved since 2010, and female employment is at a record high. But what did. Oh, it's all very well shouting from the front bench. Let's look at what record we saw under the Labour Party in government. Order, order, Mr. Lavery, calm yourself. You have applied for, to be a statesman, but there is an apprenticeship, and you have to undergo it, and it is not assisted by that sort of sedentary ranting. Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, I beg your pardon, the Prime Minister is continuing her answer. Mr Speaker, so let's look at the record that the Labour Party had in government in terms of employment. Unemployment rose by nearly half a million under the Labour Party. Female employment. Female employment rose by 26%. Youth, female unemployment rose by 26%. Youth unemployment rose by 44%. And the number of households where no one had ever worked nearly doubled. That is a record of a Labour government where the working people pay the price of Labour. And Mr Speaker, child poverty halved under the Labour government. We invested in Shawstart in children's centres. We invested in a future for young people. She should get out a bit more and hear the anger of so many young people around this country of what they are suffering from now under her government, under her watch. The chair, Mr Speaker, of the manufacturers organisation Make UK said yesterday, I'm saddened by the way that some of our politicians have put selfish political ideology ahead you should hear the rest of it first, ahead of the national interest and people's livelihoods and left us facing the catastrophic prospect of leaving the EU next month with no deal. The Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders, Food and Drink Federation, National Farmers Union and the CBI all want a disastrous no deal ruled out, along with the TUC Along with the TUC, many also support the UK being in a permanent customs union. A little over a month ago, 
and this government has failed to put a little over a month ago and this government has failed to put the country first the crisis of jobs going industries under threat and the prime minister indulges in what our own business minister calls fanciful nonsense when when is she going to put the interests of the people of this country before the interests of the Conservative Party. Prime Minister! Can I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, there is, there is, can I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, he has consistently put uh, his party political interest ahead of the national interest. He has, we can, we can take no deal off the table by agreeing a deal, yet at every stage he has acted to frustrate a deal. He has acted to make no deal more likely. But that's not surprising from this Labour Party. Because what do we see from his Labour Party? Hamas and Hezbollah friends. Israel and the United States enemies. Hatton a hero. Churchill a villain. Attlee and Bevan will be spinning in their grave. That's what the Right Honourable Gentleman has done to a once proud Labour Party. We will never let him do it to our country. My right honourable friend will know from shelter that many people in receipt of benefits are blocked from renting in the private sector. These people are often carers or have a disability. I know number 10 is working with shelter to resolve this problem. Will the Prime Minister give all her officials her support to resolve this pressing issue? Prime Minister! Uh, Say to my honourable friend, he's absolutely right to raise this issue. We are working with shelter on it. I do uh, urge that work to go ahead and to be to a fruitful conclusion. Can I also say to my uh, my honourable friend that actually this is an issue that one of my local councillors, Stuart Carroll, has raised with me, and uh, I know he has come in to work with number 10 as well on this issue. It's an important issue. We're working on it, and we look to find a, a a satisfactory resolution of it soon. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I associate myself with the remarks of the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition for the sad death of Paul Flynn? He'll be missed by many, and thoughts and prayers are with Sam and his family. He was a unique and a truly gifted parliamentarian. It was a pleasure to serve on a committee with him. It was a pleasure to have known him. Mr Speaker, Westminster is broken. We are in the middle of a constitutional crisis on the brink of a Brexit disaster. And yet, this place is at war with itself. The Tories and the Labour Party are imploding. Scotland deserves better. We need a way out. Time is running out. Will this House get to vote on the Prime Minister's Brexit deal next week? And if not, when? Yeah. Prime Minister! To the, uh, to the right honourable gentleman. Obviously, we're in these discussions with the European Union, and uh, we will bring a vote back to this House when it is, been, when it is possible to bring a vote back, that, uh, to bring a deal back that deals with the issue that the House of Commons has raised. We've listened to the House of Commons, we're working on the views of the House of Commons with the European Union, and we'll bring a vote back when it's the right time to do so. Ian Blackford. Mr. Speaker, quite simply, that is not good enough. Time is running out. Three and a half thousand jobs lost from Honda. The NFU says a no-deal Brexit 
is the stuff of nightmares. 100,000 jobs in Scotland under threat. Prime Minister, you are bringing the UK economy to its knees. <coughs> How many warnings? How many jobs? How many resignations will it take the Prime Minister to stop this madness? If you don't act, Prime Minister, Scotland will. Prime Minister! Can I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, can I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, we see debt down, deficit down, jobs up, taxes down. Oh, taxes down. Not in Scotland, of course, where the SNP are putting, uh, are putting taxes up. And, and if, uh, if he... If he says uh, it's not good enough, I'll tell him what's not good enough. It's an SNP that wants to take Scotland out of the United Kingdom, knowing, knowing full well that being a member of the United Kingdom is worth £1,400 every year for each person in Scotland. He talks about damaging the economy. The only people who are going to damage the economy in Scotland are sitting on the SNP benches. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Will my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, join me in thanking the Home Secretary for making it very clear that those who join or support terrorist organisations abroad do not deserve British citizenship and that this government is not a soft touch for terrorists? Can I say to Minister, um, I think it is an important message for us to uh, give that we're very clear that we will take action against those who are involved in terrorism. Obviously, the question of uh, deprivation is one that each Home Secretary deals with on a number of occasions. I've dealt with deprivation cases myself. There's a very clear set of criteria on which the Home Secretary considers that matter. But the overall point my honourable friend makes is absolutely right, which is how important it is for this government and this country to make very clear that we will take action against those who are involved in terrorism. Eleanor Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Before I go into my question, could I just say about Paul Flynn, a colleague? I went to Bangladesh with him, and him and his wife, and it was absolutely lovely. He's a very nice person who surely will be missed. Can I give my condolence to his wife, Sam, and hopefully she'll get in contact with me as soon as we can. Thank you. Right. Prime Minister. <laughs> right. Hi, right. Heidi Prescott is a little girl who lives in my constituent. She was born with a rare muscular wasting spinal disease called spinal muscular atrophy. She is 10 years old and her condition is worsening. Heidi is now losing the ability to walk and is spending most of her time in a wheelchair. There is a treatment which could help Heidi to slow down the de deterioration and prolong her life. It's called Spinraza. It's not available in England, but will be in Scotland in April 2019. Can I ask the Prime Minister, why can't this treatment be accessible to my constituent, yeah. Heidi, and other children in England with this disease. Prime Minister. To the Honourable Lady, obviously she's raised a particular case about Heidi, her constituent, and uh, obviously I'm sorry to hear that, that Heidi is in these circumstances. The question of the drugs that are available and the treatments that are available, obviously we do have a robust independent process in through the NICE reviews to look at new medicines that are uh, possible, and this is the case with Spinzara. Uh, I'm pleased that Biogen have actually submitted, as I understand it, a revised submission for the NICE appraisal committee to consider, and that a meeting has been arranged for the 6th of March. March, 
uh, under which those recommendations will be considered. Sir David Amis. Parliamentarians should be horrified that any human being would spend the night sleeping on a pavement. And in that regard, would my right honourable friend take the opportunity, following the visit from the uh, relevant Minister for Derbyshire, that South End Borough Council, together with its associated bodies, has reduced uh, rough sleeping by 85%, and that's another reason South End should become a city. <laughs> and, and, will, and will the government do all it can to address issues of alcohol abuse and mental health? Yeah. Well, Prime Minister, friend, that uh, well done for getting in his bid for South End once again to be a city. In that he raises very important issues. We are addressing these issues of alcoholism and mental health, and of course, often these are issues that are. Uh, uh, connected where people do find themselves homeless or, or rough sleeping. Um, he, I'm happy to congratulate South End Council on the work that they have done to reduce rough sleeping in their area. I'm pleased to say that the rough sleeping initiative which the government has introduced is where we're working with local authorities with the highest levels of rough sleeping has seen in those areas rough sleeping falling uh, by 23%. So action is being taken, it is having an impact, of course there is more to do, and we do focus on those issues which uh, underlie the problems that those find themselves rough sleeping uh, are experiencing. Matthew Pennycook. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Hundreds of leaseholders in my constituency, and many thousands more across the country, are not only still living in privately owned buildings covered in dangerous Grenfell-style cladding, they have no idea whether they will have to pay the full costs of remedial works and interim fire safety measures. I'm sure the Prime Minister will tell me that she expects building owners not to pass on these costs and that nothing is ruled out. But all my constituents want to know is when will the government act to make private owners pay rather than just continue to ask them nicely? Minister. The Honourable Gentleman, he's, he's, uh, I think he has heard me respond on a similar issue on this uh, before, because we have repeatedly called on private building owners not to pass costs on to leaseholders. As a result of our interventions, 216 owners have either started, completed or have commitments in place to remediate, and 50 are not cooperating, but we're maintaining pressure on those and we rule nothing out. We have established a task force to oversee the remediation of private sector uh, buildings, and that is actually actively working to do just that. Anne-Marie Trevelyan. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Sometimes our public services fail to provide our military personnel, the veterans or their families, with the support that they need, and they have nowhere to take their case for arbitration. Would the Prime Minister meet with me to discuss my campaign to create an Armed Forces Covenant Ombudsman, so that those who have served our country will know they are valued? The way in which she has worked to champion the Armed Forces Covenant and the interests of the Armed Forces. And of course, we should all recognise the sacrifice and dedication of our Armed Forces and the work they do for us day in and day out. I'd be very happy to uh, meet with uh, my Honourable Friend and discuss the proposal that she has. Tonia Antoniazzi. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, alongside the tributes paid to our late dear colleague, Paul Flynn, I hope she will join me in recognising his dogged determination in his fight for the legalisation of medicinal cannabis. Since November, however, the rescheduling of medicinal cannabis hasn't changed anything. Not a single new NHS prescription has been issued, causing the families of children with epilepsy, in particular, unbearable suffering. 
It's evident that someone somewhere is blocking it. But did the government mean to block this life-changing medicine to these children? And if not, what will they do about it? Prime yes. Minister. The Honourable Lady, that of course the government has taken action in relation to the issue of uh, medicinal cannabis. Um, but the important thing is that decisions are taken on the basis of clinical evidence and taken by those who are best able to take those decisions, rather than simply, uh, rather than simply being taken by government ministers. So a process has been put in place to ensure that where there are cases, those cases are looked at, they are looked at very carefully, and decisions are properly taken by the clinicians who are best placed to do so. Philip Hollabone. The Home Secretary is to be congratulated for his swift and decisive action in removing British citizenship from Shamima Begum. But the fact remains that of the 900 British nationals who have gone to support Daesh fighting against British armed forces in Iraq and Syria, only 40 have been prosecuted. With 400 of these individuals set to return back to this country in the very near future, will the Prime Minister revisit the provisions of the Treason Act to make sure that these appalling activities receive suitable and just punishment? I say to Minister. Well, saying obviously our priority is ensuring safety and security here in the UK. Uh, and we also recognise that anyone who's travelled to Syria has not only put themselves in considerable danger, but potentially poses a serious national security risk. And any British citizen who does return from taking part in the conflict must be in no doubt they'll be questioned, investigated and potentially prosecuted. It is right that we follow that process, but I'm sure my honourable friend will also accept that one of the issues in looking at prosecution is ensuring that there is evidence to enable prosecution to take place. Um, but decisions on how people will be dealt with are dealt with are taken on a case-by-case basis to make sure the most appropriate action is taken. And of course, what we are doing is ensuring in every decision that we put the protection of the public and the safety of the public first. Tom Brake. The Prime Minister is correct. History will judge us all. History, history will judge us all. And those in positions of authority will be particularly harshly judged. People like the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition for dividing the country and dividing their parties. So will the Prime Minister finally rule out no deal and stem the bloodletting in British jobs, dismiss the nonsensical notion of a jobs first Brexit and extend Article 50 to enable the people finally to vote on what is the sole justification that she sees for backing Brexit, and that is the will of the people. Can I say to the right Prime Minister, if he is so concerned, if he is so concerned about ensuring that we don't leave the European Union without a deal, then he has a simple route through it, and that is to back the deal that the government brings back to the European Union. Sir Oliver Heald. Prime Minister, join me in paying tribute to my old friend Steve Diamond, a haemophiliac sufferer who was infected with blood which was contaminated. He fought bravely for many years, over 20 years, showing great bravery and also resilience and was supported throughout by his wife Sue. He was very grateful when the inquiry was set up, the Langstaff inquiry, and does she agree with me that it is vital that all the necessary NHS documents and all the medical notes which may be needed by that inquiry are available to it so it can be fully comprehensive? Well, first Minister. Of all, I, I join my 
right hon. Friend in paying tribute to Steve Diamond. Um, the contaminated blood scandal was an appalling tragedy. It should never have happened. And it's vital that victims and their families who've suffered so much get the answers and justice they deserve. And they've waited, as we all know, they've waited dec- decades for this. I'm assured by the Department for Health and uh, Social Care that they have sent thousands of documents to the inquiry already and will send more when necessary. But we are committed to being open and transparent with the inquiry, and we have waived the usual legal privileges to assist the process. It's important that this inquiry is able to get to the truth. Phil Wilson. Prime Minister, since 2010, Conservative governments have taken £6 billion out of the North East. Can we have it back, please? <laughs> Prime Minister! Can I, say, can I say to the honourable gentleman, this is, this, is, this, is, this is a government, this is a government that is, that is ensuring that we're working across the whole country, that we're delivering an economy for everyone across the whole country. And, uh, and he talks about billions of pounds in relation to the North. He might, just, he might just want to reflect on the £13 billion being put into transport in the North of this country. Ricklefield! Minister, join me in welcoming Councillor Anne Meadows, who today left the Labour Party in neighbouring Brighton Hove, has crossed the floor, joined the Conservatives, who are now the largest group on Brighton Hove Council. And the reason, the reason Councillor Meadows has left the Labour Party is because of the rise of anti-Semitism and bullying that she and her colleagues have experienced under momentum activists, so much so that only seven of the 23 councillors there will be re-standing in May. Does the Prime Minister agree that now anti-Semitism is rife throughout the whole of the Labour Party? Minister. Can I first of all agree with my honourable friend, as she says, a long-serving Labour councillor, Anne Meadows, in Brighton and Hove, has today chosen to leave Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party and join the Conservatives, and that's due to the bullying, due to the bullying and anti-Semitism she has received from momentum and the hard left, and that's the harsh reality that decent, moderate Labour councillors are having to face every day due to Jeremy Corbyn's failure to stand up to bullying and racism in his party. And we welcome her with open arms into the Conservative Party. I'm sure she will be an excellent Conservative councillor. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I have a constituent who has left doubly incontinent following a serious and very violent sexual assault. She previously had a lifetime award of disability living allowance. However, recent PIP assessments have concluded that she is not entitled to DLA or the mobility components of PIP, despite this extremely difficult condition dominating every aspect of her daily life. Will the Prime Minister please ask the Secretary of State to look urgently at the DWP's failure to recognise the impact of this very serious condition? recognise that I'm not able to respond to the individual details of the case at the dispatch box, but but I will, I will ensure that the Department of Work and Pensions and the relevant minister looks at that case and responds to the Honourable Lady. David Trudinic. Improving mental health care has rightly become a priority for the government. But can my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, tell us, is the government doing anything to improve the situation for, of, concerning mental health for NHS staff who are hard-pressed and deserve support? Well, Minister raises an important point because obviously uh, our dedicated NHS staff, day in and day out, are delivering unwavering commitment and caring for us all. 
and obviously it is necessary that we ensure that their mental health is, uh, is looked after. We're setting up a dedicated mental health support service which will offer NHS staff confidential advice and support 24 hours a day. It will be staffed by qualified professionals who have uh, had training in situations that are unique to the National Health Service and will ensure that mental health referrals from either a GP or an occupational health clinician for NHS employees are fast-tracked. It's right that the mental and physical well-being is at the forefront of our health service. It's right that we are taking this action to support uh, our dedicated NHS staff. Caroline Lucas. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Local Government Association has identified a potential £1.6 billion deficit for special needs education, but the government's responded with a paltry £350 million. So as a result, head teachers in my Brighton constituency are literally having sleepless nights. Vital reading, reading programmes for children with SEN are being cut. Crucial support staff are being lost. So instead of repeating her usual line on schools funding, will she agree to meet a delegation of head teachers from Brighton so she can hear direct from them about the real pain that's being caused? I say to Minister. the Honourable Lady, first of all, I'm sure the Honourable Lady is, uh, will look forward to working well with the largest group on Brighton and Hove Council now, the Conservative group on Brighton and Hove Council. Um, she raises this issue about education funding. She refers to answers I've given in the past because we have been putting more funding into, uh, into education. We have been doing that in a number of ways. We have uh, uh, announced extra support, as she said, for children with complex special educational needs, and that's building on the £6 billion which is in place for that this year, the highest level on record. The Honourable Lady says it's not enough, but it is the highest level on record. And we are also putting money into new school places and better facilities for children with special educational needs. Robert Goodwill. Thank you. Communities up and down the country are installing defibrillators. Uh, the village of Brompton in my constituency has one in a former telephone box, a stone's throw away from the main road, but not directly visible from it. Does the Prime Minister think it would be a good idea if we had a nationally approved defibrillator road sign so that these life-saving devices could be quickly accessed in the event of an emergency? Prime Minister! Can I commend the action being taken in my right honourable friend's constituency? I see the same action being taken in my constituency of people uh, ensuring that defibrillators are available. He's raised a very interesting point and I'll ask the Department of Transport to look at it seriously. Lyndon! Recent research from the charity Bliss shows that two-thirds of dads have to return to work whilst their premature or sick babies are still in the neonatal intensive care unit. So if the Prime Minister thinks this is unjust, will she work with me to ensure that we change employment law and make sure that the dads and parents of premature babies like myself get the support they need to support their families? Minister! Gentlemen, obviously I know this is an issue that's close to the heart of many members, but particularly close to the heart of, of the Honourable Gentleman. And uh, I know that he has met with ministers to discuss this issue last year. Um, officials in Bayes are undertaking what is a short, focused internal review of provisions for parents of premature, sick and multiple babies to obtain an understanding of the barriers to participating in the labour market. They're working with organisations such as Bliss, The Smallest Things and Tambor to better understand these issues, and they've held focus group with a number of parents. And they've offered to discuss the conclusions that are reached with those interested parties in due course, and I'm sure we'll be happy to meet with the Honourable Gentleman to discuss this and taking this forward. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware that the British Army has engaged in a recruitment campaign 
in Commonwealth countries. However, it is the case that only after soldiers have signed up for minimum four-year contracts do they find out that they are not allowed to bring their children to this country. Given that these are brave women and men who are prepared to put their lives on the line for us and our country, I hope the Prime Minister will agree with me that this is something that needs to be looked into urgently. Will she therefore kindly agree to meet with me and others concerned to see how this matter can be progressed? Minister. My right honourable friend, that the, the issue I'm aware of the issue that he has raised. I'm told by the Ministry of Defence that they do make sure that information is available to individuals about what their situation will be. Um, but I know that this is a matter that obviously crosses. It's not just of, of uh, concern uh, to the Ministry of Defence. Obviously, the issue of the immigration rules rests with the Home Office as well. And if uh, and I will certainly meet with my right honourable friend and discuss this issue. Cunningham, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Seventy percent of flights are taken by fifty. 15% of the population, yet the Tees Mayor has just spent up to £90 million of taxpayers' money buying an airport when most people across the area can't get a bus home after 6.30 at night. Could you help them out? Prime Minister! What can I say to the Honourable Gentleman? I mean, I recognise the importance of buses to our communities. We've been spending £250 million every year to keep fares down and uh, maintain an extensive network. And the Honourable Gentleman might like to know that actually since 2010 we've seen 10,000 new routes across the North and the Midlands and live bus services, live local bus services registered have increased 15% in just the last two years. Roger Gale! Speaker Paul Flynn was in his time a valued member of the United Kingdom delegation to the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe. And I know that colleagues on both sides of the House who serve on that body would like to join others in expressing our condolences to his family. Mr Speaker, my armed forces constituents will be pleased to know that with effect from the start of this year, ex-service men and women will receive ID cards. Will my right honourable friend join me in expressing the hope that in time that card will become a passport to public recognition of some of the bravest and finest in our country? My honourable friend, we we owe a huge debt of gratitude to the ex-forces community and we are working hard, uh, as he's indicated, to ensure that they receive the support that they deserve. As he says, any personnel who left the military since December 2018 will automatically be given one of these new ID cards, which will allow them to maintain a tangible link to their career and uh, uh, in the forces. But as my right honourable friend, the Minister for Defence People and Veterans said, These new cards celebrate the great commitment and dedication of those who have served this country, and I hope they can provide a further link to ex-personnel and the incredible community around them. And I hope they will, as my honourable friend says, be a sign of the incredible valour that those ex-servicemen and women have shown. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In 2017, during the election, we learned what the Prime Minister's definition of strong and stable was. (laughs) As our automotive industry disintegrates before our eyes, as investment is put on hold, as growth slows, are we now learning what the Prime Minister's definition of smooth and orderly Brexit is? (laughs) Prime Minister! To the Honourable Lady, as I say to every member of this House, there will come a further point in this chamber when every member will have a decision to take 
as to whether we want to uh, ensure that we deliver on the vote of the referendum, on which most members of this House stood on a manifesto to do that, and to do that uh, by leaving the EU with a deal. That will be a decision for all members of this House. I know where I stand. I believe we should be leaving with a deal. I hope the Honourable Lady agrees. Thank you. Order.